Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Guy, Nick Mason, Sourceful of Secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Controls Tour. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then you I might. did come up with uh, Nick Mason, Sourceful of Secrets. You did. And in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's U-boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So... Join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. It goes up to 1972 with all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never heard, stuff that no one's ever heard, frankly. obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you know, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. Hello, Gary. Hey, Guy, how are you? I'm very, very well. Um, very, very well, actually. Oh, so and you've, been, you've been playing with a rock star recently as well, haven't you? I might have. I might have, yes. Uh, I've been doing an, um, something I can't really talk about, but uh, just a bit of recording with um, someone we really want to get on here one day, Pete Townsend. Yeah, I know. What a lovely man he is. Oh, my God, what a lovely... It was... Uh, what a brain. It was basically like being at a three-day TED Talk with occasional music playing. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to know, you know, when a guy's in his mid-70s, he's still got, you know, a lot of planning and a lot of excitement and adrenaline. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a million things going on. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, and funnily enough, very near to, uh, very near to the birthplace of the man we're about to speak to. Uh, oh, of course, which is, uh, he comes from Swindon, doesn't he? He comes from Swindon, yeah, which has a famous, Pete was telling me about this, and I actually found myself on it, which is a thing called the Magic Roundabout, which is the most confusing thing in the world, which is a giant roundabout with a roundabout off every exit. <laughs> and and how do you go around Zebedee? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. No, it's, it's literally, I say your sat-nav is like, take the first, second, third, fourth, fifth. <laughs> <laughs> um, Justin Hayward is our guest today uh, from the Moody Blues, obviously, and, and, you know, solo work as well. But, you know, I've, I've just been delving into the Moody Blues. Extraordinary amount of hit records. You know, they were the first act ever to have a hit in three decades. That's They're right, a top yeah. ten hit in the 60s, the 70s and the 80s, mostly all written by Justin. By Justin, yeah. And also, and I've got absolutely groundbreaking in terms of concept recording and both. And don't yeah. get, I don't quite get the prog kudos they deserve, I feel. They don't. And, and in fact, having a listen, there's the opening track of, I think it's uh, On the Threshold of a Dream, their third album, which was... 1969 starts with voices and clocks ticking. Where have that's, I heard yeah, that yeah, before? Yeah, 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 yeah. Good point. But se- 70 million albums this guy yeah, that's and right. this, this band have sold. Um, extraordinary journey. I know, I've known Justin for a long time. Beautiful man. And uh, he's talking, going to be talking to us from Italy, it seems, today. Not oh, Swindon okay. at all. 
Oh, Swindoni. I think in Italy they go round, <laughs> they go round roundabouts both ways at the same time. Don't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's get him on. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. This was great, guys. I, I, it's so great to talk to two guys that have done this. Well, it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know, what people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. I know you're musicians, but you've been more professional than a lot of journalists. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. To, to get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Hello. Hi, Justin. Uh, hi there. Hello, Guy. Thanks for sorting this out. What are you doing Not in Italy, a... Justin? Alberto and I work together. We've been working together for like 25 years. So, um,. Don't believe him when he says he's not a musician. He's Italian. It's like before the European Cup. They didn't say, we are the champions, football's coming home. They didn't say any of that no. <laughs> before. <laughs> so yes. uh, after, they were like, yeah, great. Where in Italy are you? Genoa. Oh, how very nice, I presume. Yes, it's lovely, yeah. And we yeah. must uh, we'll we confess to, to knowing each other quite well. We, we're, yes. we're in a little organisation oh, nice. along with Tim Rice and various other yes. people, Mike Batten, who are uh, uh, songwriters of uh, distinction or Society of Distinguished Songwriters, which, which comes out of SODs, right? Yeah, which yes. is, it, yeah, the acronym is very much different to the, to the words that make it up. <laughs> yeah. We both had the, the joy of being king, didn't we, Gary, at different times? We yeah. did, we have, we have. Yeah. Um, well, I've attended a few of those events, and I must say they are fabulous affairs. Certainly great music. Yeah, and it's nice, oh, yeah. guys. Guys who get up on stage who maybe have never been front men, who certainly aren't singers, well, apart from you and me, obviously, Justin, but, you know, <laughs> but people who have just been songwriters who get up and sing their songs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it can be tragic as well as beautiful at the same time. Yeah, they're off. They're oh, you should never really follow one of them because it's so much, so very touching when uh, a writer who doesn't is not a performer does his own song because it, it brings out something in the song. We we, we practice it, don't we? You and I so much that yeah. it's it's a, it's almost too slick. It's like yes, and we're 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 on and we know what we're doing, but yeah. when there's a, a doubt about it that. People are kind of worried about it. It's so beautiful, yeah. And one of the guys who's part of this is, is Marty Wilde. And, and I, yes. what I didn't know before I started researching you <laughs> is that's how you started. You were in Marty Wilde's band. Yes, yes. I, so when I left school, um, my parents were both teachers and they wanted me to get um, my five O-levels, which I did. And then I, I was answering ads in The Melody Maker uh, routinely, just firing them off to everybody, and and I remember this one ad. It said, "Name singer looking for a guitar player," and I'd been wor I was working in an office in Swindon for about three or four months, and I had a reply from um, somebody I can't remember who it was to, for me to go up to Blackheath in East London. And, Hang on, um, wasn't it Eric Burden from the... No, no, that's, no, that's, no, that's, 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 that's the next one. I jump ahead. One. I know, it's ridiculous. Right. It's, it's... So I went up to a house... So I was 17, I went up to a house in um, Blackheath and Marty Wilde opened the door. 
and, uh, and as you know, Gary, Marty is six foot five. Now, I'm six foot two, and uh, I spent the next 18 months feeling shorter. Yeah. 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 Whenever, whenever so, I. But I was with him for about 18 months, yeah. When I met people in the past, they'd always say, you're much taller than I thought, because they always saw me standing next to the six-foot-four Tony Hadley and thought I was some sort of small <laughs> yeah. guy. Yes, okay. what, what were you doing with, if it was 18 months with Marty Wilde, what did that yes. entail, Justin? Well, Marty was, um, was really trying to do stuff around, uh, around a new idea. So it was, it was Marty, his wife, Joyce, who was in the Vernons Girls, who were a, a singing group from... Uh, all girl group from from Liverpool, formed by the Vernons. Anything to do with the? I was going to say anything yes, to do with the was, pools. It was to do with the <laughs> Vernons pools, yeah. And anyway, um, yes, Marty was just trying to create something new. When I first went, there was a drama there as well, but then Marty realised that wherever we went, if the two of us were playing guitar, that I got the job anyway. I got the job. So, and then they'd usually the clubs that he was playing that used to be a. A, a drummer and a bass player and a piano player, so he could just tell them the chords. And um, so we were doing a lot of working men's clubs. We did a combined services entertainment tour. We did a summer season at um, Great Yarmouth, which I loved. It was fantastic. And all and of course Marty was in the Larry Parnes stable of rock and roll. Right. That's why classes. he was called Wild. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes, and um, yes, his real name's Smith. <laughs> but uh, yes, so I was in the company of all of those, you know, of Billy Fury, Johnny Gentle, uh, Joe Brown was the Vince. one who didn't change his name. But oh, uh, he, I, I think we, I would have been Guy Gary Gorgeous, I'm sure. That's would have been my name. I don't know what Guy would have been. <laughs> Johnny Alsatian, I think, would have been me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was it was brilliant. Anyway, to to be around that office and. Um, in near Marble Arch, and uh, and I met Danny Williams as well, who sang that, who did that wonderful version of Moon River. He was also in that stable and of guys. And, and how long uh, had you yeah. been a guitar player for, Justin? What what had been your ambitions? Oh well, then um, I started playing guitar. I pestered my parents to do something musically. I I, I loved the English hymnal when I was a boy and because I come from a family with quite a strong faith and my father trained for the priesthood before the war and then I was always involved with the Anglican church and I kind of knew how it worked but I loved the English hymnal and I loved those melodies and then I just knew I wanted to be in music and of course when we were young we saw when I was young, in the, I saw uh, pictures of guitars, like in the newspapers, and and just photographs of people, and and then it's like I, I want, I really want to do that. And my, I pestered my parents, and when I was eight, they bought me a ukulele, and then after another two years of pestering, they bought me a guitar, and I kind of knew how to play it anyway, and because through the ukulele, and then as you know, it's just. Um, it's just practice, isn't it? And then I was in local groups. I was always the, the forming local groups in Swindon. And by the time I was, I suppose, 13, I, I had myself a 335, just like the one, uh, th it, that's yes. probably a 345 behind you, actually. No, it's 355. Is it the stereo? Oh, well, well done, well done for busting him, because he got, we know he got it out specially, because <laughs> yes. you're on. And it's, <laughs> it looks like a. Posh. Hang on, you had a you had a three three five. I did, yes, from Morris Packet. Yeah. 
Ah, oh, Morris Plaka, of course. Yeah, but well, uh, must from have the been age about of 40. 13. Yeah, that's, no, that's, I, that, that's a posh guitar for a 13 year old. Yeah, no, it? I had a nice guitar at 13. I had my 335, I think, when I was about 14. And then I, think, well, I got it's 15 a 15 according to, to the internet. Is it? Okay. Which obviously knows better than you. Yes, I'm sure they're <laughs> right, yeah. And I had um, um, an AC30 as well. I was just uh, earning good money oh, around Swindon. It was a good, fantastic music scene, semi pro. It was great, yeah. And what was the music yeah. you were listening to? I knew that, of course, you know, I come up with the generation. First of all, the um, the voice that really got me was Johnny Ray. Uh, you probably the Nabob of Sob. Do you, do you know who Johnny Ray yeah, was? We have, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. The, the, the Nabob of Sob. Okay. Is that what <laughs> they call him? Yeah. I'll work that yeah. one out later, yes. Because oh, he cried, because he cried. Yes, okay. He was cruelly outed as well, I think, which was awful at mm. the time but you know but, what i just want to stop you there justin because there's, there's elements of johnny ray in your voice now i think, think about it you have that mm -mm. you have that way of um that break in your voice that you do <laughs> say in the big <laughs> section of <laughs> nights in nights in white satin when my yeah. dog's trying to impersonate it hang on one second he's after that three five five whoa i love you you know the way oh, yeah. you do that there's a johnny ray element in there i can hear it anyway well, so, and then, of course, Elvis. I knew I couldn't be Elvis, but when Buddy came along, I knew that that was, that was what I wanted to do. And so, I, yes, Buddy Holly was just my complete hero. Yeah, and the Everlys, too. But it was very difficult getting hold of music. The light programme didn't play very much. Um, Luxembourg, you know, me and my brother... In, a, in the bedroom with the little crystal set trying to get it at certain times of night. It, w it wasn't very easy to source, really, and we couldn't afford records. But my grandfather had left me a selection of 78 records and um, things like Inner Persian Market and really odd sort of wow. oriental things. And that, that was quite a revelation, too. But, of course, when Buddy Holly came along, I just... Was like a sponge for it, yeah. He wrote his own songs, which yes, no because one did, did they? Yes, he he was the he was the writer, the rhythm guitar player, the singer. He was like the group member from hell that I was going to be. The, you know, the, <laughs> you do this, do that, do that, do that. You know, the, but it's interesting guys. what guys said because obviously, it's one thing being a guitar player, but it's it's another thing entirely deciding you're going to write music. Was that something you'd you'd started before you went to the Moody Blues? It must be, because the songs yes. you start writing for the Moody Blues are so yeah. good. Um, I came to the Moody Blues as a songwriter. So I, it was with Marty that told me, you, to survive in the business, you've got to have your own style, and that means writing your own song. So I started writing when I was with Marty, and then he was writing, as you know, Gary, he was, you know... he. He was writing actually under another name because he had such a terrible publishing deal that he was writing under a pseudonym. But um, so I started writing when I was with Marty, and it was my own stuff that then I sent to Eric Burden, somebody in Eric Burden's office, my own songs and demos of me because I knew somebody in that office. <laughs> that's, that's all. <laughs> Because I was just wondering, I wondered what demos would have comprised of back then and where you would have done them. Um, I did some things at, a couple of things at um, Regent Sound. 
And uh, just li little places around Denmark Street. But being the wonderful thing so about So you're in being, London by this, but you have Yes, because I was with okay. Marty. Yeah. Marty was London, West London, East London, West London. That was it. There was 17. I was it. I was East placed London, West London. Yeah. I left Swindon, I was in London. That's it. I wasn't going back to Swindon, okay. you know. I have been back to Swindon a couple of times, but not to live. <laughs> he got stuck on the roundabout and ended up I guess coming like, home. Yeah, I was in Swindon last weekend, funnily enough, because it has that magic roundabout, it's called, on the edge, yes. which is a roundabout surrounded by roundabouts. Which yeah. you know, you just, He's looking yeah. confused, Guy. Yeah. No, no, I'm yeah. not. I know, I know exactly <laughs> the magic roundabout. But I, I, went, I, was, I was there two years ago with my own little um, solo group, and a guy, guy came up to me and he said... Um, I know we used to like you, but you weren't bad tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's, that's a compliment in Swindon. Well, it's, it's all right if it's that way round. The worst is when it's the other one. You used to be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you know who I was? I was very lucky. It, Swindon was a fantastic musical scene in those days, in the 50s and early 60s. It was brilliant, and I got to play in the local bands at a place called McIlroy's and the Locarno in Swindon and supported all of these people, opened up for all of the great acts. So I saw all of these, all of these early 60s acts coming through. It was, uh, oh, give it us was some joyous. Names. Well, from the Hollies and from oh. the, the um, just people like the Giants and um, the, the, the comedy act, oh, um, Oh, it, you like, it, I've put the penny in at the top. It'll take yeah, a while yeah, to yeah, come yeah. down through the machine. Yeah. Just a bit. Baron Knights? Exactly. The Baron Knights. Every couple of well months, done. the Baron Knights would come round. <laughs> and, um, yeah, Brian Poole, tremolos, that kind of stuff. It was, was, what, it was brilliant. Was, were the Moody Blues someone... Because, obviously, Go Now was a massive hit. Yes. You, were, you, you weren't on that record. You weren't no, or in that no. band. No, no, so I mean, Lodgy the, weren't in that band. Yeah. The concept of playing, <laughs> of, being, of being asked to join a band yes. older yeah. than you, super successful. Yeah. That must have been quite extraordinary for you. Well, it was super successful with one record. Right. That the managers <laughs> who'd put the group together originally, it was like a bit... It was a boy band, the, the Moody's. It was picked by... Um, couple, uh, a little, uh, couple of managers and a finance guy in Birmingham to put a group together that looked nice, that would be good, and around um, Denny Cordell, the record producer who had producer, the right. song Go Now, which was a Bertie Banks funny. song, Bessie Banks. Betty Banks. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny because the first Bessie Banks. album Bessie Banks. Doesn't, doesn't even sound like sort of Go Now. Most of it, it's, it's real rinky-dink R&B. Yes, that's Isn't right. That's so, right. So the uh, after go now, Denny. Le it was kind of whoop, dump. It's a, it's done, and Denny left. And so Clint this is Denny Lane who ended Denny up Lane. with Wings. Yes, yes. Denny Lane left. He left with a wonderful song, which was called "Say You Don't Mind." But he, that was why he left. He thought I can do this better on my own. I think. Say you don't mind I, that one. Yeah. I don't know. I don't Definitely. know whether he could thought he could do it better on his own, okay. but he, he was right. And um, so he, he left, and Clint Warwick, the original bass player, oh, had also player, left, yeah. who just didn't want to do, didn't want to do it. Wasn't his real name, Clint. <laughs> Clint Warwick was not his real name. Had an extraordinary bass style. He he strummed it like a guitar. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it was Mike, sweet, Mike, sweet Mike, 
was Mike Pinder the keyboard player and 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 Ray yes. Thomas the, the so there was three artist. people Mike, Mike Pinder Graham Edge and Ray Thomas yes and um, yeah that that was it I had the call from Mike Pinder to to meet he'd heard my stuff that that Eric Burden had sent me sent and what were those, what would those songs be <laughs> were, were, were any of the songs that you sent in things that ended up being Moody Blues There track. was one song which was called Fly Me High that um, silence that you, you wouldn't have heard of right. but that we recorded before before nights yeah but I joined a group with a debt to the Decca because the guys who formed it the manager of type financial guy had run off with all the money so Mike, Ray and Graham were like well, after I'd got to know them for about a week and it's like Right, there's no money, you know, but we have a debt to Decca, which we had. So that was the situation. Which you've that we just were... taken on. Yes. <laughs> me, me, me and John have uh, joined. I didn't know John either. All, all the others were from John Birmingham. Lodge. All the others were from working class families in Birmingham. I was from middle class socialists in Swindon, and they were from working class <coughs> conservatives from. Yeah. That's right. the way life is, you know. Yeah, must have made for a lively chat on the in the van. Ah, <laughs> L- life was life was Early wonderful. Early days of Twitter. Life was <laughs> life was wonderful, you know, because you could have philosophical philosophy differences when you didn't have anything. It didn't make any difference. Your philosophy of life could be completely <laughs> different right. and and wonderful if long as you didn't have anything. <laughs> and you were in the back van together. How old do you know you what I mean? I, yeah, I think abs- you do. absolutely. Yeah. How old are you at this point? Justin, not now. Um, I mean, then. Yeah, n- n- then. Yeah, right now. At yeah. this point. <laughs> <laughs> I was nineteen. I was nineteen. So, yeah. What you're about to make is, and I think we should just kind of uh, explain it slightly to anyone who doesn't know the album. Is you're about to make an album that is so extraordinary that is going to completely change the landscape of music. You know, yeah. invent prog concept albums, if you like. This album, Days of Future Past which to this day is, is just one of the most extraordinary pieces of work I've ever played as an album. And um, it, it was full of orchestrations and storytelling, and it was a concept album as well. How did all of this begin for this boy who joined? Well, I know, Moody yeah, it's because there's also one particularly interesting angle to do with Decker on this, isn't there? Well, De- Decker yeah. was, were actually such a... They were run by elderly gentlemen... Uh, headed by Sir Edward Lewis, and they had um, a consumer division as well. So they they had made stereo units, and if anyone of my age remembers driving down the old A3, they just see Decker, Decker, Decker. The amount of real estate that they owned, pressing plants, and and everything. And of course, they had the second largest classical catalogue in the world, Decker. But they also we also had a debt to them, so they had a call on us really. They didn't think much of my songs pre Days of Future Past, but then they asked us to do a demonstration, to demonstrate stereo, to do a demonstration record of stereo. They wanted to demonstrate that stereo could be as interesting for rock and roll as it was for classical music, which they really monopolized, apart from Deutsche Grammophon. Deutsche Grammophon and Decker were the two that owned all the great masters of classical work. And so they wanted to to sell their own equipment, honourable 
purpose and to um, try and get people who who bought rock and roll records or pop music, which was confined totally to mono and to, to a dance set. It still stayed confined to a dance set for me yeah. until about 1970. But to demonstrate that stereo could be interesting for pop and rock and roll, yeah. So, so it had to be an audiophile record. It was like a because it, it was a demonstration record. Yes, it? So, it had to demonstrate. Which, was great, which meant you, it was whatever it was going to be was going to have to be fantastically produced. Yes, exactly. So with the with that's the quite a nice thing to place to start from. Yes, of course. I, I spent. It's like um, Gary knows that Barry Mason used to say. You know, if I'd have known how wonderful the last sixty years would have been, I'd have enjoyed every moment, but as it is, it's a stress all the way. When I turned up in Decca, because we weren't, we were never invited into the control room, but they would play it back to you into the, in the studio, and I would think, oh, it's kind of lovely, but it's not very loud, and there's stuff over there, and stuff in the middle, and this big soundscape. And what I was really wanted in my heart of hearts was to do a thumping mono record. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah, Deckard yeah, weren't yeah, gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. weren't but, but interested so, in that. So Peter Knight was the guy who did all right, the orchestration sorry, for this Gary. album, and uh, yeah, but and Mike Pinder, your 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 incredible keyboard player, yeah, who's who's one of the first people in in the world to own mm. uh, one of the first to own a Mellotron. With yeah, he worked Mellotron at Mellotronics. He worked, he worked at Mellotronics before he was in, in the fact, band. In fact, he yeah. introduced Paul and John to to and got them to buy their first Mellotron, which they used on Strawberry Fields, etc. Yes. We, we were able to just nip down the road from Broadhurst Gardens to Abbey Road when we wanted, and particularly Mike, because they had a few things in common, um, substances and all, all sorts of and, <laughs> and equipment and stuff, you know, had a few things in common. Yes. But it's funny because you, you had the Mellotron, which became yes. a real thing for you. The but Mellotron that, was what but, the instrument But you actually yeah. had access to a real orchestra because some of the orchestral stuff on Days of Future Past is extraordinary. But there's one bit... Which I found, which I think in the lunchtime section, where it's you suddenly go into this piece of music, which sounds like it's from a travelogue yeah, or yeah, a newsreel yeah. or something. Oh, yes. It's, it's like while you, you, can imagine, you can imagine a voiceover going, well, here's a crew who like things ship shape and Bristol yes, fashion. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What they want, the original meeting was with um, an exec that they had called Michael Dacre Barclay. And um, he was very posh, and he his idea oh, you was think? <laughs> Dick and Barclay, yes. And uh, his idea was that we should do a rock version of Dvorak. That's right. Yeah. And they, the real orchestra with Peter Knight, who they also had on contract, would do the real Dvorak. Peter Knight came to see us in, so that was suggested to us, and uh, we we were like, oh, what? Yeah, okay, whatever, and so. Peter Knight came to see us at the 100 Club in Oxford Street, and we I, we saw him the next day in the pub just up from uh, from Decker on the embankment, and he said, "You you boys are never going to get this Dvorak thing together, but your songs are great, and what if we just take your songs and I take those themes?" And we make them into something. And the executive producer was called Hugh Mendel. Huge muddle, we used to call him, but he was a genius. <laughs> look, look up Hugh Mendel, you'll see what he did. It's a genius and a lovely man. And um, he, he sort of went along with that idea. So we recorded all our songs in about 
two or three days, I think, in, in sessions, just the just simple um, four track, four track, yeah. maybe bouncing to another four track. And um, the orchestra was done in one session. The whole thing record was done in one session on a Saturday from 10 to 1. Wow. And they broke up because the, wow. they all of these the classical musicians knew that if Peter Knight was doing it, it was going to be lovely. So they all behaved and they all played the parts exactly as he'd written them. And that was it. I was the only one of the group that was in the studio. I'm not saying I'm the only one who bothered to go, but I was the only one who went on that Saturday. And um, they did it. They did one complete run-through. They did a practice. They did a complete run-through. They had a tea break, and then they did a take of the 47 minutes, and that was it. I have to say, one of the greatest, greatest songs ever written, and it's been a real joy listening to it again. You know, Nights in White Satin is just yeah. incredible piece of work. Funnily enough, when I was a kid, I always thought it was spelt K-N-I-G-H-T-S because I envisage these knights riding, wearing white satin, but maybe that's just me. No, it was me as well. I was hoping there'd be a double. Yes, right. of course, if you look at the but front on, of then... the album sleeve, yeah. Yes, but, uh, I hate to jump ahead because didn't you because didn't you appear in The Simpsons? But you were called the Satin Knights. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we, we did appear in The Simpsons. Yes, and we were called the Satin Knights. And we were on the poster. We were supporting. The, we were supporting the Moody Blues. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was fantastic. But that was an interesting to... thing to be in The Simpsons. By the way, is the one thing that, you know. Hallelujah! It's, it's life changing. But for these boys in the Moody Blues, you're a gift from heaven. This 19-year-old kid arrives and he's written Nights in White Satin. Just talk us through that writing process. Yeah. Uh, if you can know. remember. Yes, well, it's, it's a funny thing. It's the same for you, both of you. It's things happen in your life and you're asked to remember about four minutes that yeah, happened yeah. to you I know. 60 years ago. I know. And I don't know whether yeah. I... Well, I don't know what I know anymore. But Mike Pinder was a great writer. He was a great writer and a great rhythm player. And, of course, he had, he'd got the Mellotron. He wanted to use it. He was a piano player. He realised that wasn't going to work. We all knew we couldn't sing rhythm and blues once Denny had gone. So we, we, we were just doing something different. We were doing our own thing, getting our own following by the time Peter Knight had seen us. And then um, Mike had written a song called Dawn is a Feeling, which I really loved, and he asked me to sing. And I came back from a gig one night, and just I was living with Graham and our two girlfriends in two rooms in Bayswater, and I just sat on the side of the bed, and I knew the other guys were wanting me to, to do have, have a song for the next day. We were recording in Barnes. And Olympic was that? No, no, no. We were recording oh, no. in a church hall. In, we were oh. in a church hall in Barnes. Oh, we were rehearsing, not recording. No, we were, oh, right. no, we weren't <laughs> recording. And um, nothing like that happened until much later. But uh, we were just rehearsing this, and I knew they were expecting me to have something to put in our act. We did a sort of forty-five minutes of rhythm and blues because you did 40, two forty-five minute spots in those days. 45 of rhythm and blues, and then 45 of our own songs, which often died. The rhythm and blues, we were all right with, you know, but we were rubbish at it. So anyway, I came back and I, after a gig, maybe four or five o'clock in the morning, and I thought the other guys, they, they want to have something that I've to play them tomorrow that we can learn to put in the set. Mike had written this lovely Dawn is a Feeling, and I 
just thought about the night and I don't know, it just it just all came out. It, it's like four or five minutes. And it's just yeah. the basic thing, just the basic thing with the chords and the words. And I went into the rehearsal room in Barnes the next day and I and I play I had this big old twelve string and I played it to to the guys. And they were really nonplussed. They just sort of said um, you know, it was like <laughs> and then yeah. Mike, Mike said, play it again. Got anything else? Yeah, got anything else. Yeah, but people, I, uh, I have to say, because that's uh, the story Tony, of our Tony, lives, isn't it? Tony, Tony Hadley does lots of interviews where he says, well, when Gary first played True, I just thought, well, that's all right. I didn't think much of it. So, it's extraordinary, isn't it? That uh, People say, that's, that's the story of our lives, isn't it? Got yeah. anything else? Yeah, you play it. <laughs> it's meant so much to you. Anyway, I, I played, and then Mike said, play it again. So I went nice and my sudden, and he, on his melodrama, went, da 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 da, and then suddenly every, all the other guys were, oh, oh that's interesting, and uh, that changed the way people oh, saw yeah. it. Oh, now we like it. Now we like it. Yeah, <laughs> they could kind of see their parts. I think once they'd got that rhythmic da 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 da. But that is an interesting point, though, with because it is true when you're presented. You know, speaking as a, as a musician here, is when you're presented with a song in its basic form, I think a lot of it is pe- people have a tr- are thinking, yeah, where am I in this? Yes, where, and, and, you that's know, right. I'm seeing the big picture, so that's right. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Guy, I think it changed the ballad form, you know, because, you know, you think after... Yeah, but there's nothing like it. There was nothing... The only thing I can think of in the same ballpark is, like, would be something like um, uh, White is Shade of Pale, but even that's... No, that's very... too bluesy, really. Yeah, too, yeah, 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 but although it has the bark uh, keyboard. The bark None of us yeah. thought anybody would ever hear it. It was a it's, then Then this whole idea about the demonstration record come, and none of us ever thought any you know it'll just be a demonstration stereo record that that'll be it but we recorded it in the may april or may of 67 for the bbc and we were going up the the m1 or the a1 in our uh, van and it came on we recorded it for a program called easy beat on the friday and uh, it, it they played it on the saturday and we were going up the motor and we we listened to it and we pulled over the van and we said, there's something spooky about that. You know, it's not, it's not a pop song, it's just kind of spooky. There's something eerie about it. And uh, 
that was when I, I, I people started to sort of think that kind of stuff. There's something. There's nothing happening, but it's something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I but I, because it was the, the really it, when it really hit was actually was when it was re-released in '72, wasn't it? Wasn't yes, it was, so it came out. Uh, yes, for, uh, and I literally remember the first time I heard it. Then it was huge. I was ten. It was. I remember. I was in a, with my family in a Greek restaurant in Camberwell, and I remember it's just one of those things. Going, I've never heard anything like this. This is incredible. Oh, yeah. that's so, so sweet. I love that. That it yeah. affected you that much. Oh, yeah, that is it wonderful. Absolutely did. That's wonderful. That re-release. That, yeah. that re- I mean, that came on the back of you having you know major success in America late, later yeah. on, didn't it? Yeah. That those the the, the 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 thing that happened to us was that we went to America for Bill Graham in the winter of sixty seven sixty eight. He and we we opened for everybody. We did a tour with Canned Heat. We were everybody's opening act. But Days of Future passed, and the second album that we made, In Search of the Lost Court, were Search perfect Court, yeah. for FM radio. They had they had nothing yeah, FM. They, they just they had things like It's a Beautiful Day or. Some Buffalo Springfield things were in stereo. The Beatles, I was really disappointed with the stereo that they put together yeah. for their albums. And because well, they, they used to do that weird it, thing of, of all the voices on yes, one side. But they yeah. didn't yeah. care either, the did they? Ones. They yeah. spent six weeks yeah. doing the mono mix of Sgt. Pepper yes. and one day doing, doing the stereo mix. Even if they ever turned up for the stereo mix or somebody did it, yeah. yeah. But yeah. of course, in America, for FM, they had this wonderful soundscape that our stuff was just perfect for, yeah. Psychedelia is what was kind of, yeah. what, what is what you sort of became part of it. And I just, I wonder where, where Pink Floyd were in this, in this time, in, in, mm-hmm. in the timing, in the evolution. I mean, because there's, without a doubt, Search of the Lost Chord is a very psychedelic record. I mean, yeah. it has, you know, stuff about Timothy Leary and it has spoken yeah. who we knew, who we'd met on that first tour, Timothy Leary. So, <laughs> so we knew him, yes. I, we, I went to his ranch and um, stayed for a, a whole weekend. No, yeah. I had dinner at his house once, but <laughs> lovely. Yeah, well, I, I, I was at a party what a character he was, court. wasn't he? He was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. I've got he, he signed me a picture. Yeah, um, yeah, extraordinary. But, but Pink Floyd and the timing. I mean, cause, you know, the UFO Club and all that stuff. I mean, where does it fit in? Is it a question to me? Yeah, is this a question to you, to you Justin? <laughs> um, it was. Would you play, say it's because people yeah. mention Pink Floyd here? But yeah, was this is 1968 in search of a lost chord? Are, we, yeah. are you just a bit ahead of it here? We were because I, we played with them. I remember them with, with Sid at the. We played with them at the Roundhouse, and yeah. the 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 top the top of the bill wasn't us or them which certainly wasn't us and um the top of the bill was a light show and that's what people had come to see so yes we were just slightly before i think but once we'd gone to america this it wasn't know, puppet show yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes light shows were often top of the bill on yeah of course. tours yeah but, but did you you all tuned in and dropped out didn't you at one point to make this album most of us did I certainly did, yeah. Wasn't there an acid trip, a famous uh, moment when it all changed? You mean life or...? No, no, when, when, when the mu- that inspired the music on this record. Yeah, um, well, there certainly was an acid trip that the four of us took, yes, that probably 
changed the way we thought about things and about the way the, the, the way we wrote. But um, right. yeah, yeah. So that oh, was course, just we were just part yeah. of that. And, yeah. and when we got to America, of course, we were part of that youth culture. Some of these boys were going to Vietnam. You know, there was that whole kind of, course, of thing going yeah. on, and um, we were we were like the voice of that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, because you had because you you also you were having poetry on your albums. You know, yes. Yes, I mean it's great all that narration, narration type thing, and they're great poems. I mean, yes, it's, it's Graham, our, our drummer, who who um, yeah, who, I was going to always the most precious that, member I, yes. of the of the group. It's, yeah, but it's, it's always fun. That, you know, we need some poetry. Who are we going to get to write it? How about the drummer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a sentence you'd never have, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Or, well, yeah, yeah. The, what Guy was saying is, is fascinating. The, how daring that was to put poetry on your records. Yes, well, uh, Which, Graham yeah. was such an ideas man, and he couldn't write a song. I, I always said to him, you know, because we were all trying to write songs, and then after me, after me and Mike sort of kicked that ball down, booted that ball down the pitch, and and then, but I would always say to Graham, yeah, but it's just too many words, man. You know, they don't. You got it. It's not. The, it's the sound of the words that you can't. You can't say certain words in in a song. It has to be the sound of them. It's like, ah, yee, yow, you know, kind of stuff. True, <laughs> it's, it works. And um, uh, so th they wanted some kind of, Decker wanted some kind of way to link all of those songs together on Days of Future Past. And Graham came up with that, Breathe Deep, The Gathering Group, and it was absolutely beautiful. Mike Pinder sang it, uh, said it, not sang it, he sang it, he said it, lying on his back in the dark in the studio. And um, it was fantastic, yeah. 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 He, 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 he had such a beautiful voice, speaking voice. I used to call him 007 Pindy because he'd convinced me to do the most ridiculous things by Justin, you know, like, what we should do is this. And I was like, yeah. And so I'd head off on all sorts of reckless schemes <laughs> just by being hypnotised by somebody's voice. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I mentioned to Guy earlier about on, on the, your next album, on The Threshold of Dreams, it starts with, with not only voices yeah. talking, but it starts with clocks ticking. And, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Does it, yeah. this, I think you were setting, you know, there's definitely inf inspiring future work by Pink Floyd at that moment. You think? Yeah, I, I mean, but I, the use I, of soundscapes I, and all of that in Moody Blues stuff, that was... Yes. Again, yeah. you, were, you were... I think also, can I just also say that I think... Some of the stuff I hear you do, which has obviously has San Francisco in, inspiration behind it, influence, or um, it seems to be like it, it's the sort of stuff that Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young took on and did later. We've all got to we have to remember that you know Graham Nash was was playing in the Hollies. Not, yeah, but the, but actually that's the key point, Gary. I think what is, is the fact that you were doing all this stuff before all those. Mm all those people were we I, I so it's like you, yeah you were it's like it's like i can't really see you know what what would be influencing you other than just you influencing other people i well frankly okay it, it, well it, it, it all it was just we were such different people and i think we had such different philosophies of life i come back to that and we were trying to express those in in a way snobbish and uh, all, all sorts of um, annoying philosophies that we were putting forward and psychedelic philosophies and we were on a kind of search for a, some kind of enlightenment yes it was a search for enlightenment uh, personally and uh, 
in, a, and, in and our own lives. Some meditation of us. was something you did as well. Yes, we, we, we did that with the Maorishis team, yes, with the TM team. At a lovely house that George had bought for the... Um, the the transcendental oh, meditation. The, the, oh yeah, it yeah, was in yeah. uh, the back of Eaton Square somewhere. Gorgeous place, yeah, yeah. You had to give them a week's wages. To get what, the, what's interesting is that you be don't, enlightened. You you all seem to write separately. It wasn't yes, very many totally. times when you. I mean, you obviously wrote most of the hit singles. So let's just say <clears> you were probably <throat> the best writer in the room. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, but, no, but there no, didn't seem really. to be any kind of teaming up. You just brought no. your songs in, but there was still a, what they all made up. What was the Moody Blues sound? Yes, that's right. Though, though I can't deny that there was a kind of quota. You could only have so many, and then you know, have to let the other guy do it. And we all had different ways of doing it. I always wrote at home. So I always knew what I wanted. That's why, uh, you know, it was. I wouldn't like to be on a session with me because I'm going to say, you play that, you play that, and you do that, and that's it. Whereas the other guys would have a bit of a song where I'd say, why don't I do this? And it's like, oh, yeah, that's great. And um, why don't you do that? And you'd struggle to, to kind of build it up. So it was just a different way of doing it. Me, me and Mike would always have songs prepared. It was just the way... As boys, I suppose, as a 17, 18-year-old, that's just the way I knew how to do it. I, I didn't want to take anything. I didn't want to take any chances in the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas some people can do that risk, can't they? Both of you, you know so well that some people will have a scrap and and expect everyone else in the studio to yeah, build it up. A, yeah. and, and that's a great way of working too because it brings out some brilliant pieces of... Um, uh, arrangement, but did that that must have happened to you occasionally. In summer, surely some someone must have brought something to the party that you weren't expecting. Or Mike, yeah, 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 it did, yeah, in every way. And a flute, and a flute. You have to try and incorporate yes. a flute all the time. Yeah, and listening to the early stuff and with the flute and with the twelve-string guitar. You just you now know where Genesis start came from. Do you? And, I don't. You know, but honestly, <laughs> there's not a, lots of credit. Not I don't a shadow think so. of a doubt. But <laughs> I don't think a, anybody was listening to us. I think you know people like Jethro Tull and Ian Anderson and 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 and, and Peter with his flute. I'm, I'm, you know, there's there's a sort of pastoral quality to what you were doing. Yeah, it, it, uh, inspired. Yeah. Maybe it goes all the way back to your hymnal. Maybe. Know. Yeah, I'm not sure we were that influential. I'm not sure that we can take credit really uh, because we were always sort of fourth or fifth on the bill and in in those melody maker um year things best of the year we were always like about six or seven people people's favorite well, we, group you know but no but it is it is quite funny just in that that perception of the moody blues and i know it's something is that is that considering the stuff you were doing was incredibly psychedelic, was very revolutionary and sort of conceptual and doing all that stuff. And yet the perception of you as a band is something a lot more mainstream than, say, the Genesis's and, and the proggy bands of the time. Yes. I was wondering why that was. I think that may have something to do with, in the 80s, we, had, we just changed. And Mike had left. And then Tony Visconti became our record producer. And mm -hmm. I did what I'd really always wanted to do, was to make pop records. And that, I think if we'd have just stayed, if, if we'd have finished in 1973, we might have been in the Rolling Stones charts of good groups. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
because we didn't because we had hits in the 80s and the early 90s it, it was like oh no well i mean hang on let's just just, just give you credit where you you had four uk number one albums two uk Amer- uh, two us number yeah. one albums uh, oh, i think we? i think really probably what guys talking about is because you could still write a hit record so those yeah. that was a period when it which was is the cardinal sin. Which is the cardinal yeah, sin. Exactly. You could go on top of the pops. You could go on Color Me Pop. You know, yeah. you, you, you could you could make a concept album, but there was always a, you know, pretty much a Justin Hayward track on there that would be a hit record, and and one that you wrote later on, which is you know we have to talk about, which is one of the great records, is Question, which came on the oh, yeah, uh, on, on the okay. um, on a later album. Um, yeah. What year was Question? Um, 70, wasn't it? Exactly. 70? Yeah, 70. And, yeah, it's, no, and what it does is it shows off your phenomenal guitar playing, which I can hear also on um, on that great track on a previous album called Gypsy, that oh, yeah, track yeah. Gypsy. Oh, yeah. You're sort of, you know, big strumming, sort of open tuning. What do you... How, what, what, what yes. Do you, how did you hear it? <laughs> it's funny because there was a group that we knew called Trapeze and uh, um, <coughs> Mel Galley, the guitar player, he, he learnt question before he knew me in in a normal tuning and <laughs> he was so choked when he saw me doing it <laughs> so, that's so fucking easy because it was just an open C tuning yes I had to, the night before it was one of those things Justin will come up with something the night before the recording session I still hadn't done it but I had two songs in C and I had this big old 12-string, and I tuned it to that open C tuning. And, and off, I put the two songs together, and off we went. I never expected anybody to pick up on it or like it, but... Um, so one it, was it up-tempo, and one was... One, yes. One was up-tempo, and one was... Slow. There was a ballad and an up-tempo thing, uh, and neither of them were finished. But they kind of... I just put them together, and... Uh, it was like, oh, and again, right. that's revolutionary for a, for a single back then. This is, you know, years before Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. I suppose so. <laughs> so what year people, is this not- In America, people were doing stuff like that, though. Honestly, yeah. they, they, they yeah, really but, were. But, but it was FM radio. Six. You know, we had yes. Radio 1. They had, you know, they were... Yes. Their whole thing was based around album tracks. You're right. Yeah. No, you're right, Guy, That's because right. That, because that, was, it, that, that song completely goes against the grain of the, these, the yeah. standard. I mean, in a way, I suppose, let's face it, Day in the Life did that as well, but not necessarily as a single. And uh, in fact, you are your own day in the life, aren't you really? B- b- you know, the way they took two songs and stuck them together, you, can, yeah, exactly. you did the same thing, Justin. Yeah. One of the loveliest moments, of, um, no, I'm not, not gonna say. Yeah, Go but, um, no, but- Go it, on. It, 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 We're all about yeah. showing off on here. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, was, was that I was at a PRS thing and um, Noel, Gallagher got a, got an award and I did too, and afterwards Noel walked towards me and I thought, oh dear, what's happening? <laughs> and, 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 he, and he said, never mind about that. Been nights and nights Saturday. He said that fucking question, fucking brilliant. And wow. and I, I, and I thought, oh, that's the greatest thing ever. I said, oh, thank you so much. And I was absolutely knocked out because it, you you kind of forget these things, but. Um, Question was was great for us because we it was in that summer of 1970, in the early summer, and we were just about to do the Isle of Wight festival, and that was huge. And we did it, 
the, the festival itself was a bit of a disaster. The fence came down. It became a That's free festival. Broken, yeah. Joni, somebody jumped on stage and bashed Joni Mitchell in the face with the mic. And, oh, it was all getting He wasn't from Spotify, was he? <laughs> I wonder if you were going to mention all that. No, go on, go on, go on. And um, we came on at sunset and everybody just went, oh, that's so nice. You know, the whole, you could, like a big sigh of 450,000 people. Oh, it's the Moody's and it's all going to be all right. You know, and we had oh. question and it was just great. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, that's brilliant. Actually, another thing, a uh, little thing that has to, uh, obviously, as a bass player, I have to mention on quote, is that that bass line yeah. is just yeah, yeah. superb. Yeah. No, it drives yeah. do 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 Yeah, that, yours, that came out of the twelve-string guitar. You can in the twelve-string. Right. You can play that in it. Yeah. So yeah, it just it was born out of that. So was that your line? Did 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 you instruct? Who who knows? The, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely have had a lot to do with it. Saying, do that. <laughs> yeah. John yeah. always knew yeah. that it was a good idea to. Uh, you know, you experiment with other things, but it's probably a good idea to do what he says. <laughs> do what I said. <laughs> In the end. Right. There's, there's, there's a endless arty kind of experimentation, isn't there? Because the, the album I remember as a kid, which was, you know, you, you had to have, was Every Good Boy Deserves Favour. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it, I, it begins with this extraordinary piece of music, which is, I don't know, a couple of minutes long, and it goes from... The beginning of music. Oh, yeah. Right up to <laughs> the present day. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, that was the only track that all Moody Blues wrote together in the same. Yes. You have to add an addendum, you have to, add an addendum to that track every five years. <laughs> yes. That's right, Give, yes. That's got a hip-hop bit. Yes. <laughs> it's like that's. A, yes, that's right, yeah. That would be fun. And it's like that thing, picture of evolution, yeah. isn't it, of, of, of Neanderthal man. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, you still start with Jimi Hendrix and end up with Ed Sheeran. Got <laughs> that one alone. No, uh, but you, you, I mean, what, you, how daring is this group still? You're, you're, you're not thinking we need singles. What that's what we need. No, 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 we're not because we were. But London Records were so happy for us to make albums and album tracks and to and to sell the whole album. And uh, yes, you could put the album on, and there weren't even any. Scrolls, are they called? You know, on the vinyl, that was a thing that oh, uh, um, Decca did uh, away what? with as well, so that you couldn't really what the gaps. Yes, between tracks right. because they were they all segued into one to the other. Totally, when Alberto and I came to remaster things, it was totally annoying, wasn't it, Alberto? Because we we couldn't find where one ended and where one the next one started. <laughs> we had to remaster it recently. We went back to the four track of a lot of things, didn't we? Of the original four track, that was quite interesting, wasn't it? How we did that, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that, and that's a problem with CDs, wasn't it? Because CDs had to have tracks. Yes, yes, exa yes, exactly. They had to have a, a, a registration place on it. Yeah. Just let's talk about you, you and your relationship with John Lodge, you know, the bass player, yeah. and because uh, you went on and you formed yeah. a band together in, in a sort of hiatus of, of movie yeah. blues, and. Yeah. Uh, he kind of guy. Can I just say, John Lodge doesn't get the credit he deserves all the time, does he? I, I, I would go along with that. Yeah, you know, yeah. great, great bass player. But he, he yeah, great and, bass and, player. and a great songwriter as well because he wrote, he wrote. Um, uh, I'm just a singer in a rock and roll band, which is what you know, yeah. one of your big hits. And 
yeah, yeah well. th- th- that same kind of bass lick as well as question. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But that was great, a great stuff. Song. Yeah. But the Blue Jays Fantastic. album. What I loved and I didn't know is the Blue Guitar, which was yeah. a big hit, I remember, and, has yeah. 10cc as your backing band. Yes, it's yeah. only 10cc on them too. I recorded it before Blue That's Jays. all you need, mate. You don't need anything else. What? <laughs> That's all you need. You don't need more. Yes. You say it's only 10cc. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it was a single-tracked 10cc, yes. Oh, they were called, I think they might have been called Hot Legs at the time. Yeah. Oh, is that when they were still the sort of um, doo-wop? Yeah, it was recorded before that, yes. And I had it in the can, that song and that track. And then before the Blue Jays album, and um, it was only after the Blue Jays album that Decca desperately wanted something, a single, to to follow up the Blue Jays album. And uh, then we put out um, Blue Guitar, yeah. But hang on, it's, it's Graham. Wasn't that album originally going to be? Was it with Mike or was something? It wasn't going to be with. John? Yes, I. Yeah. When the when the we came to the end of a long tour in '74, and um, I kind of knew that it was it were, the whole thing. We were drifting apart. Nothing was said that couldn't be unsaid, thankfully, but. I knew there were just no plans made, and that's always frightening in a group. Both of you know how frightening that is, isn't it? When there's nothing in that date book. That was a pandemic. Yes. Yeah. Who who knew? Yeah. A guy across the street from me, I remember when that started, he shouted, hey, hey, hey. And I was like, me? Yeah. He said, how long do you think this is going to last? It was on that first weekend in March, you know. (laughs) I said, oh, I'll give it two weeks. And I've seen him just like, arsehole, oh, told me yes. two weeks. But, yeah, but if, anyway, if a pandemic yeah. strikes, find someone in a rock band to tell yes. you how long it's going to last. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, so I at the end of the tour, I knew that Mike wanted to do something with me. And I, he lived in was living in Los Angeles. And so I got together with him and then... Tony Clark, the producer, turned up, um, and with John, and this is just my. Th- th- these things are car crashes, aren't they? So it's everybody has a different opinion of what what happens. Uh, you, Gary, it's the same for you in a group. Everybody has a different. Oh, story they do, and a different group. lawyer as well. <laughs> we never had different lawyers, but I know I know exactly what you mean. It's a different story, but when. Tony and John turned up. Mike took me in the kitchen. He said, I don't want to do it like that anymore. And, and I said, well, I, I, I haven't got the courage to kind of say. He said, well, I'm out. I'm going to do something else. So that was that. And then um, John and Tony and I came back to England and we did the Blue Jays album. There were, and that was nice. We had formed a great group and the whole thing could continue. But with straight after that, I realised what I wanted to do was just do my own. Th- I was kind of doing my own things anyway within you know, within the Blue Jays records. You know, cause there was other musicians on it that mm-hmm. never worked with. But what's extraordinary is, is, is Mike... Um, yeah. he, he never came back to music properly, did he? I mean, he, no. you know, he, he's, he's dropped out. No. He's, he's still around. He's 80 now, I think. And he's... I think so, yeah. But, uh, yes, that's you know, right. given what he did, he didn't, because Patrick Moraz took over from Patrick from came him. in for 10 years and played some wonderful stuff, yeah. Yes, but my, Mike will always be kind of my um, in, inspiration, really, for those early things, and I still think, would, would he like it? <laughs> you know, kind of stuff, kind of thing. 
Yeah, really? it's interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Was it what? What would Mike do? Yeah, what would what, sort of what would Mike do? What would Mike do if what would Mike think? Well, no, I mean, when, 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 yeah, exactly. When you're when you're writing something or whatever. You know? well, we, I guess we should talk about War of the Worlds, shouldn't we, guy? Mike would always love Jeff, it. Mike would always play because because the you know the basic track would always be drums, bass, guitar, mm. and Mike would always play tambourine, and so he would hold the whole thing together with a tambourine groove, and that was. The most important part of of the glue of the uh, the original backing tracks. We should talk about War of the Worlds. Okay. Yes. Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, because because you be- this became a touring thing for you as well, didn't it? Yes, eventually. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, how did that come about? How did it, how did was were you approached for that? Well, this is uh, so. I was in my house in West London one day, and the phone rang, and it was an American voice on the end of the line, and he said, "Are you the guy who sang Nights in White Satin?" And I thought, "Was well, it's probably best to check, isn't it, if you're calling somebody in a group?" But for these, if you say no, sorry, wrong number. Yes. Yes. No, that was the other guy. <laughs> well, Just keep calling people. Go, Are you the broker sang White Satin? That was the Baron Nights in White Satin. Yes. Yes. <laughs> The, the, the great thing about The Simpsons, where we were playing, was a casino called the Quicksands, which I oh, was a wonderful name for a casino. Yeah, and um, yes, yeah, so uh, he said, because I've got a song that I think would be right for you and like you to consider. So he sent it round to my house and I listened to it the next day, unenthusiastically. But then um, there happened to be a guy around at my house who worked at the Moody Blues record shop in, in Cobham that we had that was uh, underneath our office there. and You it, had a record shop? We had a record shop, minute. yes. Well, we had an office and then we had a, there was a shop underneath it. So it and it like, just oh, sold Moody record Blues shop. records? No. <laughs> <laughs> you could go and listen to all sorts of records there in a lovely booth. It was gorgeous. Isn't that beautiful? Because we made it nice. <laughs> and then you'd go down the road and buy them cheaper at Woolworths. So that was it. wasn't really a great um, a business model. But it was lovely. And uh, anyway, this this young lad worked there and he was making a cup of tea and he came into the lounge where I was listening and he listened to the demo of the song all the way through. And when it finished, he said to me, you ought to do that, mate. It's perfect for you. And I thought, what else am I doing? Not much, really. And so I went down to AdVision behind Oxford Street and I met Jeff oh, yes. Wayne and his um, engineer, who was also confusingly called Jeff, and um, I met Jeff and Jeff, and we did. I heard the, the, the lovely track with. It, there was me, uh, um, Herbie Flowers, Chris Bedding, Joe Partridge. Oh, wow. wow. You know, and uh, it was fantastic. So uh, I, I did that, and then a couple of days, I did Forever Autumn, did, did like a zillion vocals on it with every. the third, the fifth, the seventh, the ninth, you, you know, every possible conceivable harmony, which I enjoyed doing. And then Jeff Wayne called me back a couple of days later and said, there's another track, it was called Eve of the War, so I did that too. And um, I heard nothing at all for about two years, and then I had a call from a promo guy at CBS, and he said, do you remember that thing you did with Jeff Wayne? This this happens to you, guy, I'm sure. You remember that thing you did with so-and-so? And I said, yeah. I said, nobody ever called. He said, well, they've released it as a single called Forever Autumn and if you do Top of the Pops next week it'll get in the top 30 we'll all have fun and it'll be great I did we did and it's been absolutely fantastic you know so uh, that's the way life 
life goes. But that's a promotion guy's job, isn't it? Do top of the pots. We'll all have fun. It'll be great. We're getting the top 30. Do you know how that song started? Did you do find that out? How that oh, Forever Autumn started? As a, it it started as a as an ad for Lego. No, because I want because for Lego. Okay, because that's where Jeff Wayne came from, wasn't it? it was yes. Like no one really knew him before that. He was just this ad guy who somehow managed to assemble this incredible cast of people to Richard yes, Burton. Yes, yeah. and yeah. friend of mine who was, was Phil Lynott was on Sorry. it as well. Was it Phil, Richard Burton or Lawrence Olivier? Richard Burton. Richard, Richard Burton. Burton. Yeah. Yes, but he, he was. The, I was the song him? thoughts of Richard. Bur- I was the song thoughts of Richard Burton on that record. <laughs> just quiet. Yeah, I beg your pardon. I was the song <laughs> thoughts of Richard Burton who narrated the whole thing. Uh, Phil Linnett was on it too. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful yeah. lyrics by Gary Osborne, a friend of ours, right? Wonderful. What a song. What a what a gift of a song too. Yes, but, uh, Gary Osborne and Paul Vigrass. Yeah, and Jeff Wayne. Yeah, and you're wonderful. going back out on the wow. road with it again. Yeah, so I did, when it came on stage, I did the touring version for seven or eight years um, in character with the costume. Of the, it's the H- what, all day? The H.G. <laughs> Wells story of the War of the Worlds. So it's it's in set in the 1890s, as you know. So yeah, I've I've seen the show. Oh, you, okay. not, not with you in and it, and yeah. probably Herbie was in it when you saw it. Then was it? No, I don't, no, no. I saw it just a few. It oh, was after me. Because I bumped, I bumped in. Yeah, I bumped into Jason Donovan on Brighton oh, Seafront, okay. and he said, "I'm doing this. Come along." So I, yeah. I saw that version. Okay. And um, <laughs> yes, when I was with it, it was again with Herbie and uh, and and Chris. Yeah, so I did it for quite a long time, and then they asked me to come back, and I said, "I'm too old and for the part," and said, oh, "Well." Jeff's older than you, so... Yeah, so it was Alberto that said to me, hey, you'll never be asked again, will you, Jess? And I said, oh, I probably won't, no. So uh, what do you play, the juvenile... But how, how can he be too old to be thoughts? <laughs> no, but he's playing the... That was Alberto's point. That was Alberto, exactly what Alberto <laughs> said, you see, which I thought, it's brilliant. It's but you're brilliant. not playing the juve lead, are you? Is that <laughs> the ageing juvenile lead? <laughs> Possibly. I've just got to do the songs and not fall over the furniture. <clears throat> can, can I, I just want to mention Graham Edge, who uh, was, you know, the long-time drummer and, and poet of the Moody's, and yeah. he, he sadly passed away uh, last November. Yeah. yeah. He, w- he, he'd been with you since the beginning as well, hadn't he? Yes. Oh, to- totally. Yeah. Graham was the glue that kept the whole thing together, and he loved the group more than anything. While the rest of us were moaning a lot of the time, particularly me, thinking this is rubbish. You know, well that's this is a dump. I spent my life playing places. I thought this is a dump, and then, like I said before, it's fifty years later. You think, oh, it's, actually, it was all brilliant. But um, Graham just kept the whole he loved the group so much that he kept the whole thing together and uh, when when he passed it's you know it could never really be the moody blues without him and uh, i knew he was a couple of years ago he came to me and um, he, he he said just i'm i think i'm done you know i think i'm retiring and i said well you when you go i'm going to because yeah it, it was it was so lovely. We both remember how how it was when it was just fantastic. But he was great. Lovely sounding drums Graham had. Lovely sound of them. I used to go and up Charing Cross Road and choose things with him, and he'd choose the nicest cymbals and the nicest hi hat. And then he and I came back one night 
the flat that we were sharing together and he'd bought this lovely symbol, Zildjian symbol, and we we got this punch that you could punch through uh, whatever it is. But what are the symbols made of? Copper or brass Metal. or something? You know? And uh, we put rivets in it because we're... I was looking for a really nice ride symbol. Mm -hmm. You know how precious ride symbols are. Yeah. And um, we put rivets in it that you just buy from a a, a, a a stationery store, and then we'd take some away, put a couple more back, wow. and you know until we got the sound. It was. That's amazing. That's called a sizzled symbol, isn't it? And now you can buy them. Okay. You could buy. Yeah. You invented the sizzled symbol as no, well. We, we some <laughs> some jazzer some jazzer did it. Yeah. More to the point, why did you have something that could punch through brass? Were you planning a bank job or something? <laughs> yeah. We were making a ride symbol. Yeah. <laughs> so so when was the last time you actually played with the Moody Blues officially? Um, I think that was well, it was just before be the end of two thousand and nineteen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So is it yeah, solo it. work for you now, Justin, obviously? Yes, I was lucky enough to do a tour last year, two months in America, and I've been... Oh, well, oh, you got you got the window. You got in the window I then. did, we, September, we, we October. We kept missing all the windows. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Yes, I did. I got those um, gigs September, October last year. Yes, and uh, just absolutely brilliant. America. America, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ben. <laughs> And, and and is that sorry? Go on, guy. No, I was just saying. And is that what you'd like to? Are, are you? Is that what you'd prefer to do? Do you like just doing your little your thing? Or I do really. I I think I've just grown up a. a you know, I'm trying to be, have some dignity about things and um, do the songs that I've written and in the way what stuff what I wrote how I wrote it kind of thing. <laughs> Your legacy is incredible. I said to so Guy earlier, like that. I said to Guy earlier, you're the first band ever to have a hit in three decades consecutively. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Surely not. Because, surely. yeah, a top ten. When I say a hit, I mean okay. a top okay. ten uh, in, in America. Because oh, wow. obviously, you know, when you came back with, a, with that more electro-pop sound. Yeah, yeah. And, Tony Visconti. And, and Gemini yeah. Dream and... Tony Visconti, yeah. You know, whatever those, you know, again, you were, you were having success in, in the MTV era. yeah. Yeah, we were, and we got video of the year once for a um, video called uh, the "In Your Wildest Wildest Dreams." It was called. Yeah, in your wildest dreams. Yeah. Right. yeah, Justin, it's been a real Tony pleasure Visconti. having you on. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Lovely to see you and be with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's been absolutely. <laughs> you delightful. too, guy. Really, really big fan yeah. of oh. you both. You know, of course. <laughs> yeah. oh. Great. Dear man. Thank you so much. Great pleasure. That was good, guy. Well, he's one of those lovely, his lovely, unassuming, sort of gentle people with a, you know, whose 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 manner sort of belies his kind of his history. Yeah. It's so, true because the legacy is yeah. amazing, you know, and they've just yeah. been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and unfortunately, you know, that was that which was, was done with a huge sort of public outcry, wasn't it? But it was their fans oh. who sort of who champion who, who for years were got to the point where people were just complaining. It was like they were being, you know, snubbed. That's interesting. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah I, I, and and it was so nice that it was done before Graham dies and Graham died. And and, it's, and what's great is you know this is this is a guy who goes all the way back to the beginning of British rock and roll with Marty yeah. Wilde. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's a like, real bridge stuff. Yeah. Well, listen. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back uh, very soon with another episode of Rock on Tours. 
Uh, anything else to say? We need to thank people, was it, do we? Uh, we need to thank Ben. Always thank Ben. And more to just thank you, our loyal, well, I don't know if you're loyal, but hopefully you are, uh, listeners. And thank you and keep leaving your lovely reviews. Well, I haven't actually read them for a long time, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, now you can all run off and listen to Days of Future Past. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy. Yes. Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely go, go through it. It's a great dive to go through, especially those first four albums, that, that four album run is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a good night from me. And good night from everyone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.